Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. So today's topic is how to make money out of your kitchen. If you have a kitchen at your program, it should be making you money. Money, money, money. We got to so, make some dough. Absolutely. So we are all about making play dough, making dough in childcare. <laughs> <laughs> So we're not going to spend the entire episode talking about dough or how to make dough in your kitchen, but we are going to talk about how to use your kitchen as a marketing tool. Yes. So marketing is one of the things that you should be doing. Marketing to your existing clients, marketing to potential clients. And you should also be, if you have at least 30% of your kids who are low income or even lower middle class, then you should be looking at doing the USDA food program. So those are the two ways off the top of our heads that you should be using your kitchen. So Carrie, talk to me a little bit about the food program. I hear you talk about it. It is always something that you are telling every program I think we've ever worked with in over 18 18 years. And (laughs) so for 18 (laughs) years, you have been telling programs to get on the food program, get on the food program. And yeah, I know that it gives them some money, but tell me more. Yeah, I know that that's not a thing that you ever particularly thought was was useful. I'm guessing in Ohio, where you did your registered family home, it wasn't as sort of everybody who had a registered family home did it. But here in Texas, everybody does it if they have a registered family home or a licensed family home because automatically you qualify if you're an in-home program. Every in-home program qualifies. Okay, so now that's really cool. That is a great thing to know because I know that a lot of the folks who are listening may not realize that there are some advantages with their in-home programs. So we'll have to come back. We'll put a pin in that and we'll come back and do another episode on maybe transitioning from an in-home licensed program to a full-scale center because we have a lot of folks in our uh, client base. Okay, so then in centers... It's more you have to qualify. And to qualify, there's two ways. One, you can be a nonprofit center. So if you're in a church-based program, again, you automatically qualify as long as you're a nonprofit. Most nonprofits in early childhood are a 501c3, but there's a couple other kinds, but any kind of nonprofit. Nonprofit doesn't mean you don't make a profit. So pretty much any starting out center functions without a profit, but that doesn't make you a nonprofit. It is a, a legal title that you're a nonprofit center. So they automatically qualify, just like the registered family homes. The majority of our clients, well, at least 50% of our clients are mom and pop centers, right? And so the mom and pop centers, one third of the enrolled students would have to qualify for free or reduced lunch when they go to public school. So what's an easy way to know that? I mean, you're getting into some personal questions when you're asking families. So is there another way that you could kind of look at or a question you might be able to answer on registration forms to know whether or not your kids fall into that without getting too terribly nosy? I mean, the easiest way is to look at your total enrollment and is a third of your enrollment funded by the Child Care Block Grant, which for decades was called CCMS and is now CCS. But this 
federal money that goes through your state to pay for low income or student parents. So parents who are going to school or who are low income, if they're being funded through that money and the state is paying for their childcare, then they definitely qualify for reduced or free lunch. And so you should, in my opinion, my number to be humble opinion, uh, you should do the food program because it will pay for all the food that you're having to feed the children anyway. You're feeding them. You have a kitchen. You wouldn't be turning over that square footage that could otherwise be licensed if you weren't feeding the children. So if you have a kitchen, you're feeding the kids, why not let the federal government reimburse you for those eggs and that bread? So you're telling me that the food program is actually a reimbursement program. So, wow, that sounds really complicated, Carrie. So what do we have to do? I mean, it seems like it's more than just cooking some food and telling somebody about it. I mean, it's not super complicated. It depends on your state as to whether you're having to do more or less than what the state requires for your food service anyway. But generally you get a sponsor because you don't want to do all of the paperwork yourself. (laughs) The paperwork is much easier if you do it through a sponsor than if you do it directly with the federal government. Okay, so what do you mean by a sponsor? So, like, could you be my sponsor? I could be, but I refuse to be. Um, So, sponsors are basically people who work with a group of centers and registered family homes to help them do their paperwork They will keep a database of all the breads that are sold in your area so that you don't have to keep the nutrition information card for each different type of bread you ever buy, which is a a nightmare. So instead, what you do is you go grocery shopping, you have your receipt from the shopping list, you send it to them. You take a picture of it and you send it to them. It's Most of them are now app-based, and you can do them on your computer or on a tablet or a smartphone. So you do that so that they know how much money you spent on your food. Now, do I have to do that, or can I have somebody else do that? Can I delegate that? (laughs) That's Kate's word. She doesn't delegate. She delegates. So, no, the director doesn't have to do that. The person who is cooking your food can do this. It's not complicated. And again, many of those sponsors have the app available in English as well as Spanish. So that's one part of the paperwork. The other part of the paperwork is counting how many humans you are feeding. (laughs) So who is there at breakfast? Who is there at snack? Who's there at lunch? And who's there at afternoon snack? And if you're a program that goes to seven o'clock at night, who's there for dinner? And you just track how many kids are there at different meals And then based on the number of kids and whether they were categorized as free, reduced, or paid, the state will pay or the federal government will pay you for those meals. And it goes from the smallest amount they'll give you for a meal is 18 cents for snack, which is not going to fully reimburse you for snack. But that's 18 cents that you wouldn't have gotten if you hadn't done it. Now, those sponsors, I'm sure they have a fee. So do you really get the whole 18 cents back or? The 18 cents, I believe, I'm, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe the 18 cents is your percentage of what you get back. The sponsor takes 
10 to 15 percent of the total amount that the federal government will give you. So if you are great at paperwork or you have someone on staff who's great at paperwork and you're a nonprofit, you can skip the sponsorship route and you can do it yourself and not have that 10 to 15 percent taken out. But you have to have somebody who is very, very good at paperwork. So if you don't have a Kate around, then just get a sponsor, which is what I always did because I liked that extra $5,000 a month in my bank account. I like $5,000 for doing something I was going to do anyway. So that 5000 a month, how many kids did you have in your program? That's, That's like 70 kids. Okay. All right. So I just want to make sure that we're not talking about when you had a registered family home. No, no, no. My I wanted to know what you were feeding them for lunch. Registered family home, I was getting about 500 because actually the reimbursement rates were higher for the registered family home because they were. <laughs> I don't know what the federal government's thought process is, but I know it was higher. So. All right. So great. So we have an opportunity to use a sponsor, get reimbursed for something you're spending the money on anyway. And so you have little to do. I mean, so what would be the reasons why people don't do this? I mean, like I said, for over 18 years, you've been telling everybody to do it. Obviously, there are people who don't. Why? What is the hang up? Is it a is it a stigma? Is it people are thinking, oh, this doesn't going to look good? Are there only certain foods they can feed? There's a little bit of each of those things. So I would say the biggest thing is centers don't think that they will qualify. But the size of their total family is what goes into the federal government deciding which of those three pots they go into. So like when you had four kids at home, I know that you were not... (laughs) Most people would not consider your household income low income, but because there were six of you, you might have qualified for reduced lunch. Oh, we did the whole time we were military. Yeah. Yeah. So you were a dual income family with one person who had, was in the medical profession, but you still qualified for reduced lunch. So sometimes people think, oh, all of my parents are self-paced, so there's no way we're going to qualify which isn't necessarily true. It might be true, but you don't know until you have them fill out the survey. And sometimes people are afraid that the parents won't fill it out. And the way I always handled it is we're having you fill out the form that you're going to fill out when you go to public school, because every kid has to fill this form out when they go to public school. We're just helping you to get used to it now. I never look at the paperwork. It goes straight to the federal government agent to to the liaison to the federal government which means i sent it to the sponsoring agency i didn't want to know who at my center was free you know i don't want to know their paychecks (laughs) that's for the federal government what a a great way to do that so did you do that at registration yeah it was part of their registration packet and i told them at the tour that you know we were able to serve higher quality food because we were on this program the other thing As far as the whole, are there foods you can't feed them? No, there aren't foods you can't feed them, but they do require that you serve whole grains. So you can't give them nothing but, you know, Ritz crackers. You have to give them some Triscuits and you have to give them some goldfish. Goldfish or whole grain. The whole grain goldfish. Yes, the whole grain goldfish. And Cheerios. Oh my gosh. 
giving children Cheerios, what will we ever do? But people freak out when they hear the word whole grain. And I'm like, it's Cheerios. Give the kids Cheerios and oatmeal. It's not hard. I think my kids would be okay with that. So, (laughs) all right. So you have got a center who's thinking about doing it, but they're not really sure. And they're like, oh, but, you know, my, my families, you know, they're thinking about their families. And they're not really sure. But let's just say they have 30 kids in their program. How many kids actually have to meet that requirement if you've got 30 kids in your program? If you've got 30 kids in your program, 10 of them have to qualify for reduced or free lunch. And again, that 10 could be reduced, which is middle income families that have more than one child. All right. And that could be one or two families, especially if you've got large families who come to your program. Carrie, thank you so much for helping me understand. And I'm sure the rest of our listeners kind of go, okay, so... Why am I not on the food program? And so if you're not on the food program, send us an email, texasdirectorcourse at gmail.com or colorfulclipboard at gmail.com. Carrie, Kate, go find us. <laughs> we'll connect you. And, you know, Carrie can help you. She can connect you, kind of give you some feedback on maybe some of the, the different sponsors. And-, and if you want an extra, you know, $500 to $7,000 for feeding children what you were going to feed them anyway look into it, man. I'm telling you. It's easy money. Easy, easy, easy. But that's only one of the two things we wanted to talk about. Right. The other one is up your alley. Kate, I have heard her go on rants multiple times about why people have given over 300 to 500 square feet of their building to a kitchen and all they ever do is make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So so what are some of the marketing things that what is what is your favorite marketing tool <laughs> out of the kitchen okay so my favorite 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 marketing tool out of the kitchen actually has two different versions but basically it comes back to coming up with ways to make families lives easier it's the reason why you provide breakfast lunch snack uh, maybe even dinner depending on how long your program goes and so dinner i mean our families are busy that's why those kids are with you And so parents are picking them up. They're in a hurry. And we want to encourage them to spend some time as a family. So one of the things that's worked really, really well with the programs that have trusted me and actually done this is a once a week, could be once a month, dinner to go. Now, dinner to go. So, you know, nowadays, you know, and this wasn't really a thing when we started, you know, we didn't have... Blue Apron or HelloFresh or somebody who's going to deliver food to your door as a family. We sure didn't have all the food delivery services. And so this is still a great opportunity for you as a program to set yourself apart from your uh, competitors. Okay, but here's the question. Are you charging for that dinner or are you giving it to them? Which one? Giving it to them. Giving it to them. So... Costs so much money, Kate. Come on. I mean, if I'm making steak for five people, that's a lot of money. Well, we're not making steak for five people. We're making spaghetti. And again, so one of my favorite is uh, a kid-made meal. So having the kids use the kitchen as part of their curriculum and learning to make garlic bread. And that's really just bread that they've buttered and put a whole bunch of garlic powder on. And the kids get to make spaghetti sauce. Well, that's not maybe grandma's spaghetti sauce. It is tomato sauce and a bunch of oregano. And depending on your program and what you've looked at and how excited you got about this concept, 
you might be growing this oregano outside. So what a great opportunity for the kids to go out and actually. Ooh, ooh. I just had a thought. <laughs> if the kids know how to do Play-Doh, they can make spaghetti. All you need to do is like borrow one of those pasta machines because it's basically making Play-Doh. <laughs> Well, that's a little scary, but yes, especially if you've got having made homemade spaghetti, you got to have some people with some, some arm muscles. If you're going to do, you know, 10 to, you know, 40 families worth of dinner, but okay. so, okay. So maybe you don't make fresh homemade pasta. Just made me kind of excited. <laughs> you might have fun doing that one day as a snack. That would be a really awesome snack where the kids got to make their own snack. Um, because it doesn't take as much pasta to make that a snack. But if you bought you know, the, the lowest grocery store uh, pasta and you cooked it up in big bunches and you served it, you sent it home in a big gallon bag and the kids got to make placemats uh, during their art process yeah, of the yeah. day and they got to make the spaghetti sauce and they got to make the garlic bread. They got and of to- course making the salad because all that is is ripping up lettuce and then throwing tomatoes on top of it. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, if you want to look at square foot gardening or just some community gardening and really include the kids in this, again, depending on the size of your program, this could be an awesome way to include this in your curriculum. So the kids have now made a homemade dinner for their family. How many four-year-olds are going to be able to tell mom and dad, I made us dinner? I mean, they're going to be so excited to share with their family, whoever that is, that they made dinner. And as a parent, you're going to be so touched because your kid made you dinner and you got to tell everybody at work that your kid made you dinner. And I've seen this with spaghetti and we've done this with tostadas and we've done this with beans and rice and we've done this with a variety. I don't know of... if I could come up with 52 different dinners that kids could help make. Well, nobody I can said... come up with 12, I think. Okay, so then you just recycle. And... Nobody said they had to be more than that you had to okay, do the same okay, one. I can see that. And they don't have to be every week. But yes, they definitely don't have to be the same one. I mean, I had one program that it was always the same for, you know, week one, week two, week three, week four. And they also, when they did that, they also looked at, they bought 12 of things. So the, the number 10 can of tomato sauce, they bought 12 because it was cheaper. And because of where they were located, it was easier just to buy them at the one time at the warehouse grocery store because they had some storage if you were a program without a lot of storage that may not work so yeah I mean I've had both I've definitely had centers like well you know which centers had a lot of space and which ones were like uh can we just hang these children up on the wall (laughs) because there's not room for them anymore (laughs) so so if you think about your kitchen as a way to make your families a stronger family unit All of a sudden, I've just shared with you a way to pull that into your curriculum. And what do I mean by marketing? This isn't something that you put in your marketing materials in this particular case. You're not going to say, and we provide dinner. Because what happens if you do have an off week? And if you're getting started in a program, this is something you might want to start with once a month. And you might try it with uh, maybe one classroom. And and see how it works in your kitchen overall and, and... making sure that everybody's on board and has an idea what's happening. Sometimes your teachers get excited and the people who are in charge of your kitchen totally freak out and vice versa. 
And so we want to make sure that if you have somebody who helps you in your kitchen, that they are prepared for kids to be in the kitchen in the morning as well as kids being in the kitchen that day in the afternoon. And so it does take a definite communication across the program. And not every kid's going to take their spaghetti sauce home and not every kid's going to take their garlic bread home. But we don't tell them that. And not every kid makes everything. Although I do know that if you use the Sharpie marker on their tinfoil, the Sharpie marker will make it through the oven process. I may have done a thing or two with that, with tinfoil and Sharpie over the years. So does it have to be stuff that we're doing in the oven or on the the countertop? Because I know my Instapot is my husband's favorite thing. And so he wants to make as many things as he can in the Instapot. And I know your son loves the sous vide wand gizmo thingy. <laughs> well, and I'm a crock pot gal. So no, things don't have to be made in a traditional on the stove, in the oven kind of kitchen. It really just depends on who's ever working on the menu, creating the menu ideas, what resources you have available. You know, when you're doing beans and rice, you know, how many rice cookers does everybody have on staff? <laughs> if you even take the beans and rice and you go with more like you're looking at a, a Mexican rice or some sort of flavored or rice. Cajun rice or Cajun rice, rice pilaf or, yeah, yeah okay. If, if you're making any sort of rice dish, yeah, you're going to be looking at how many rice cookers do we have. So again, talk to your staff. You might find that you have a staff who's used to every year at Thanksgiving, they're cooking for 25 family members or every year at what Christmas. Thanksgiving? <laughs> every year at Christmas, they're making you know, tamales for 87 people. So Ooh, these... I want to make friends with that person. <laughs> I need the tamales. I need a good tamale hookup. Yeah. So if any of you have staff who make tamales, let us know. Carrie and I will be there um, <laughs> November 15th. And so, but yeah, I mean, so think about it. Hopefully by now you've had conversations with your staff and you know what their hobbies are and you know what their interests are, that they're not just your employees and that you are trying to help them bring those hobbies into the classroom so that you're having a real community we want to have a community we don't want to have a business absolutely so hopefully we've given you a couple of ideas on ways to make some money in your kitchen and we will definitely touch base on both of these uh, probably again carrie did mention this is one of my favorite and i could probably do a whole 20 minutes and i think we're already over our time so on that note, thank you very much for listening to us at Colorful Clipboard. We look forward to hearing from you. Give us some feedback on what you liked about this episode. And of course, subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director, where we continue to have seminars, licensing, programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young, with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.